First I left my body. I became extremely light. You can't even begin to describe it. It was an unbelievably beautiful lightness. I have struggles and the various things that go on in an everyday life here, and they were simply gone. I was simply light and floating above my physical body. In this place, and I deliberately say in this place, for I was no longer here in this reality, but yet I was still there. In this place I was manifold. I could also see my physical body sitting at the steering wheel in this life-threatening situation. Mrs. Suki, you are a social worker and a counsellor, and a while ago you had a near-death experience. How did this come about? What happened at the time? In July 2011, I climbed into the car with my daughter, who was seven years old at the time, and drove to another town. It was quite some distance, about two and a half hours, and everything went well. Then, roughly 20 minutes before our destination, a difficult situation arose on the motorway. A motorhome failed to give way to me. And as there was a column of lorries to my right and the crash barrier to my left, it was a two-lane motorway, and ahead of me, the motorhome, I couldn't avoid it. There was no braking distance. We were going very fast in the car, so I tried to somehow get out of the situation. I tried to create some braking space by playing with the brakes and steering wheel a little, which eventually led to the car coming at an angle, and so the situation got worse. And it was clear to me we would not get out of the situation. An accident was inevitable. My mind was working hard. The first question was, how can we get out of this? Then fairly soon it became clear that we couldn't. So then I tried to think, how can I protect my child and the other drivers? And that didn't work out. I thought over so much in a flash, fractions of a second. For instance, is it better if I hit the motorhome head on now? Or is it better if we crash into the barrier? How can I protect my child? Would it be better for her to hit the front if we turn over forwards? Or will she be crushed if we roll over sideways in the other direction? So quite a lot happened in my mind, but the result was that every imaginable option for surviving the situation was equally futile. There was no real solution. And then it became clear very quickly that we would die or rather that I would die, that the accident would happen and that I would die in it. As it became clear to me that I would die now within the next second or two, the near-death experience happened. And so my last thoughts were, look, dying isn't that bad at all. On the contrary, it's really beautiful, because I was sure 
Now I will die and my life will be over. So for me it was quite clear. Not only is this happening now, but it's also okay. The situation of letting go of everything, I would say, also led to this. I have no solution to the situation, which doesn't happen very often in my life. I'm actually a very solution-oriented person, but now there just wasn't one, at least none that would have got us out of this. And with this thought, that's all right, that's how it is, I'll die now, the near-death experience happened. What did you experience at that moment? So first I left my body. I became extremely light. You can't even begin to describe it. It was an unbelievably beautiful lightness. I have struggles and the various things that go on in an everyday life here, and they were simply gone. I was simply light and floating above my physical body. In this place, and I deliberately say in this place, for I was no longer here in this reality, but yet I was still there. In this place I was manifold. I could also see my physical body sitting at the steering wheel in this life-threatening situation. Yet I saw only the body still sitting there. And the only thing I still saw was the steering wheel, which I was gripping tightly. My body was motionless. So it was as if it were held in time and frozen in that second. Everything else was gone. My child was no longer there, the car was no longer there, the other drivers, the situation on the motorway, everything had disappeared. All around me was like a silver-white-grey gauze, like a silk cloth that had practically shielded me from this reality. From up above I could see myself sitting there. I was still above me, but also in many other places. I saw... So I was only still some type of form. I still had a form. I always call it an energy form. Even later, I can still only briefly explain what I mean by this, because my body was no longer present in this way, but I was pure energy. I was not only floating above myself, I was also still present in my physical body and looking in the same direction as my physical face. However, I was at the same time in my physical body and looking back, looking out of the back of my head, just as if I had turned around within myself. And there was still a form, an energy form, which was still there below. Then I looked out of my back, out of my right shoulder blade, and I was still in many other places. This energy form was, I was basically in every position inside of this energy form, in one position. From out of my back, from my right shoulder blade, something like a tube had formed. Others call it the tunnel. So I was directly connected with this tunnel, and also looking through this tunnel with my energy form. But I could also see the tunnel from above, from below, and from all sides. I was also standing behind this tunnel. I went through this tunnel, and I also stood behind this tunnel. And this was the only position in which I was not exactly present in this kind of energy or form of energy. Rather, I was quite black, an unbelievably deep black. And I could then look down even more. From this position, I could also see all of the other positions, 
but mainly I was standing in front of a vast sea of lights. It was like a network, a network of countless points of light that looked something like stars. Perhaps you can imagine it like this. You could also say they were like synapses of the brain, but they weren't synapses. This is really only an approximation in order to explain this. If you stay with the star version, then you can imagine that all of the tails of the innumerable stars were also connected with one another. And each star shone uniquely in an unbelievably beautiful light, and the whole structure was indescribable. It was so bright and so golden and warm and loving that it is impossible to describe. Indeed, you are lost for words. Between these individual stars and their tail connections, however, there was also darkness. But not quite as we understand it here in our spheres. This was nothing negative. But the light was love, unconditional love, and the darkness was a complete comfort. Everything was beautiful. It was a place where opposites dissolved. Both were there, but it didn't matter. It dissolved into each other. So it was not only a visual experience, but it gripped you as a whole human being. Yes, because of my position directly in front of this sea of lights or network, and especially because all of the forms of my person that were present during the near-death experience were composed of the same energy network. I was filled with these points of light and I was composed of them, just like the sea of lights in the network. In this position, which was quite different and which appeared to be dark, I was nonetheless connected with this network, with the light. I was standing on a kind of plateau, which was, however, transparent, like a vantage point with a little balcony with a glass panel so you can see below. You can imagine it like that. And I saw something that looked like the Earth. I couldn't say for certain that it was the Earth, but it looked like it. There were connections to Earth from this network, although it was completely separate. It was not standing next to it, but in a completely different place. You can picture it like a dome, and all human beings and all of life were connected with it. I was in different places, and I could see everything I'm telling you about from all positions, multiple times. And of course, as is the case with near-death experiences, it happens simultaneously. I'm just telling this chronologically, otherwise it's not understandable. I had a life review. I could see the moment when the near-death experience took place. So the here and now of that moment in time. I had a review, but interestingly, not like we're used to. 
We're used to writing and reading from left to right. It was the other way round, inverted. I could see my birth, my life, the point of the near-death experience, but I was also allowed to see ahead. Looking ahead does not mean that I can see the future. That's quite important. But this looking ahead had a connection with what had happened before in my life. I'll start from the beginning. There was my birth, but I could also see light before the birth, and also images. My birth and my life up to the time of the near-death experience. And I saw pictures there, similar to the way you see them on record collections or photo albums. You could take something from the shelf, or it fell out by itself and opened. I saw scenes of situations from my life, scenes in which I was involved and which I was allowed to experience again, allowed to sense and feel how others who were taking part in the situation had felt, but also how I had felt. As mentioned, the moment of the near-death experience and I could then see pictures that were similar to those I had seen in the review, which referred to the same situations within the review. To put it quite simply, if a similar situation takes place as it did in the past, in the future you can enter into a new situation which is similar, having already reflected upon it, and you can correct your actions. I can correct my actions now because I had seen and felt what it does to other people if I react in such a way in certain situations. These were not drastic things I experienced or brought about through my own actions. It was partly really about very small interpersonal things, but they could have great effects. I could see my death. In retrospect, that's interesting, because I've also been asked whether I wanted to stay. I could see that life could still go on. I could also see that after my death, light still exists, and there were also images. At the same time, there were also connections to something happening in the same moment. All this is depicted in a very linear manner. Of course, my life was never linear, just as no life is linear. But somehow you have to try and explain. I saw little strands of life, capsules of life, I can't describe it any differently, which were also connected and interwoven with one another in a spiral way, and also in direct connection with my life review, with my life. These were, in turn, also connected through energy strands with this dome that I mentioned earlier, which had an Earth-like appearance. So this means that this dome had energy below. Everything was energy and was connected through it. Then came the moment when I was asked if I wanted to stay there. I was also told, you can stay, but if you stay, there will be an accident. 
and in this accident you will die, and your child may also die or be very seriously injured, resulting in a disability or needing a wheelchair, i.e. she would have really serious injuries. The other travellers who are involved in this accident would likewise be injured. Indeed, overwhelmed by this unconditional love, and naturally as a mother, it was very clear for me, no, I'm not staying here. Although I would have liked to stay there, I'll openly admit it, because I think such a beautiful state of being is very difficult to attain here, if at all. So I decided to go back, and promptly, whoosh, got sucked back into my body and sat in this life-threatening situation again. The near-death experience, everything that I experienced, was very, very real, more real than anything I have ever experienced here. Simultaneously, however, this situation continued. Thus, whilst I was sitting at the steering wheel and travelling, I went through the near-death experience, and I was not aware of what happened on the motorway. When I was back, I saw, and this really amazed me, that something had happened on the motorway. The motorhome, as if by a leap, had suddenly moved a little to the side again. What had before been impossible, to drive between the central barrier and the motorhome, was suddenly possible. And that's what I naturally did. I squeezed between the motorhome and the barrier and continued driving the last 15 to 20 minutes because I was worried that if I stopped, my child would no longer dare to get into the car because she would certainly have a fear of death after this situation, whereas I had lost the fear of death. And then, what happened after the event? Were you able to process your experiences immediately, or was that a long process? It was a process, and it was not at all easy. What happened was that I first had to understand for myself what had actually happened, because it immediately became clear to me that something had happened that would change my entire life. I knew that. Also, right after I climbed out of the car in which we'd travelled, I could clearly express that I would do everything, naturally in a very sensible manner, but that I would do everything I could here in this life to get nearer to this feeling. But not just for myself, but because I knew that if I was doing well, it would affect everyone around me, and it would be good for others. It was indeed the case that I quite suddenly, I had no injuries, so I didn't even need to go to hospital and couldn't withdraw for a while and say, I don't feel so good today, I need rest. I had no injuries, so other people couldn't understand why I didn't function as I did before. My being had completely changed. Or you could also say, my actual being had emerged. It was suddenly free. In other words, I couldn't go on as before because I saw the things in my life in a completely different context and had different priorities now. I no longer saw only my family as the top priority in my life, but also other people, 
because I knew how everything was connected. This caused a great deal of irritation in my environment because I was very clear in what I experienced. I had the good fortune after five days to know already that I had had a near-death experience. A friend said to me, it sounds as if you've had a near-death experience. And so from the beginning I had a concept that I could use to explain my experience to others. But in the end this did not help people to relax. Instead there was some turmoil, of course with my husband at that time too, and with my circle of friends and family. They wanted to have the old hiker back again, for sure. It was hard to understand, especially for drivers. Everyone has experienced a dicey situation in life, on the motorway, on a country road, wherever, and then you're happy when you get away. I know that too. And you just live your life or rejoice, celebrate a new birthday and so on. Yet that wasn't possible for me. So much had happened that I totally questioned my life, although my life had been nice up until then. I also knew that I had to work on myself, that I had to reflect. I want that too, because it has an impact and effect on others, and because that is, although I don't want to say this, one of my tasks. That sounds so heroic. But I had indeed the feeling that something had been given to me. A sense of why I'm here again now. That I do certain things and also speak openly about them to the public. And perhaps about the near-death experience, about such experiences. The change was long-term and it persists even until today. I think this is a process that will probably last until my death. I'm relatively sure of this. It was also quite clear that there is no going back. There is no turning back. That was completely clear. The changes, indeed, you can perhaps imagine, to put it less abstractly, I was a sociable person. The house was always full of people, with friends, with family. There were certain things which were important to me, as I've said. Naturally, also the focus on my family. And they were all things which then broke away a little. That doesn't mean that my family is no longer important to me, for heaven's sake. That's not the case. But I do take more factors into account when I make decisions, for example. I initially withdrew completely from social life in order to see where am I now, who am I? Indeed, I first had to get to know myself again. And I could no longer talk about certain topics of conversation. That's still a problem today. Not like it was then. But banal things, yes, I also talk about them sometimes, sure. But let me put it this way. There are subjects which interest me more. I've done things that would have been unthinkable before. I've become very brave. I've withdrawn from various financial securities and still do so. I used to be completely covered. I have to say that again and again with humor. The only thing I had not covered and had not arranged was my funeral. The rest was all protected to the bitter end. I really upset my surroundings. Many people just couldn't understand it. 
How can that be? Why aren't you happy that you got out of this situation? Why are you suddenly questioning everything all the time? Why can't you talk to us about recipes anymore? Why do we always have to talk about such difficult subjects? For me, they weren't difficult. Rather, they were totally interesting. I simply wanted more and more food, food, food for the mind too. I wanted to experience things. Then I joined an art society. I rented a studio. That's all the things that I couldn't imagine doing before. I'm much more open. And at times I've also become more critical towards certain topics. There were annoyances everywhere, and many people didn't know how to get on with me, even those who had read something about it. The topic is too complex to be able to understand it quickly and what it does to you. So you have founded a self-help group for near-death experience. How did this come about? Was this also a consequence of your personal development and change? Because I knew what had happened to me so soon afterwards. And I never had the feeling, which many others have unfortunately had, that I was physically ill or crazy, or all these things which others have to go through. I was free of all this. I'm also a very open-minded person, that's my character, so I have repeatedly brought up the subject. I always thought, given the statistical figures, there should actually be someone in my immediate environment who has had a similar experience. But I didn't find anyone, even though I was so open about it. There simply wasn't anybody who I could really speak face to face with about it. People around me were open, of course, and there were also quite a lot of friends and family members, also my ex-husband, who were willing to talk with me about it. But it was very demanding, because I first had to find a level where I could speak to others. By this, I mean I had to explain a lot in order to convey how I feel. So I searched for people who I didn't need to explain myself to, with whom I can simply talk, because they have experienced similar things, without finding criticism or being doubted. When I didn't find anyone, it quickly became clear to me, even in those first few weeks and months, that I would have to do something. What that would look like then crystallized with time. Now I'm a social worker and know how you form self-help groups, what purpose they have. For me, that was the most obvious thing, and so I established a self-help group. What experiences have you made with others who've been affected? What are the biggest problems people with near-death experiences suffer from today? What would have to change in society and therapy to make it easier for those affected? Well, firstly, the fundamental attitude. That means being open to the subject, to be open to spiritual topics in general, not to question it, also not to pathologize it. Pathologizing helps no one. For 30 to 40 years now, there has been near-death research, and I think it is sufficiently explored and known so that pathologization does not happen, at least not as a rule. 
and it is extremely important that people around you show understanding, that they don't criticize and constantly question you. Having a discussion about it is not an issue at all. But as much as I wouldn't imply anything regarding someone who thinks and acts completely with their own rationality, I also don't want to be questioned about my own experience. So möchte ich eben auch nicht in Frage gestellt werden, was mein eigenes Erlebnis betrifft. I have experienced it. I need no proof of it. And it would be very nice if society would show more openness towards these things. Diesen Dingen gegenüber Toleranz. Also ich glaube Toleranz. Tolerance from society towards these things is really necessary. Regarding therapies, it is really a problem that there are practically no professionals, doctors or therapists who are familiar enough with the subject that you could go to them and tell them about your experience. There are some doctors and therapists who know about the topic. But as I said, it is very complex, so that there is still a lot to be done in terms of educating professionals. And I believe that shying away from the topic, the fear of making a fool of oneself or being ridiculed, is something that people should slowly overcome. I believe that those who have experienced a near-death experience have a lot to offer society if people would only listen to us. Do you have the impression that something has changed in our society in relation to near-death experiences in recent years or decades? Is the subject of death less taboo today? Well, I think we need to keep that a little bit apart. The subject of near-death experiences has, I think, now been freed a little from taboo because a lot of literature has been published. A lot of literature is available on the market, also on the internet. It has become an exciting topic for many people. And I have the impression that more people have at least heard of this concept than was perhaps the case even 20 years ago. And when I think of the reports from the self-help group, or even reports of near-death experiences which I know of outside the self-help group, then I already have the impression that because of education, and I am basically the best example, more is possible. That I didn't fall into the state of, oh dear, I've gone mad, was of course also due to the fact that I could read about it, and that a friend of mine knew that this subject existed so that I could start my process much quicker. Indeed, things have become less rigid, but not to the extent that you could say it is really free of taboos. I think we are still relatively far from that. And naturally, the subject of death, dying, is also connected to this. And as long as this topic remains a taboo, in my view, this is still pretty strong, unfortunately. It will also remain difficult for those who have experienced a near death. The term near death is a problem as well. 
For me, it is not quite right, because it's actually something similar to a dying experience. At least, that's my experience. As long as this concept is still associated with the word death, which is stigmatized, then it remains problematic. There is development, indeed. You also have to bear in mind that, by now, I naturally seek out the company of people who are also involved in this topic. And sometimes I'm a little surprised and also shocked when I come across people who have never encountered this. There is predominantly defense and fear. And that's a real shame, because when you lose the fear somewhat, reduce it a little, and everyone can do that, then your quality of life increases. Have your experiences changed your religiosity in any way? My religiousness has not changed. I'm not a person who was religious before. Of course, I grew up with religion. Clearly, you cannot completely avoid this in our culture. I was baptized Catholic, but I left the church at the age of 19 or 20. But I was also an altar girl, so I was also familiar with this life. But I could never make any sense of it, and even as a child I asked myself how it could be that people believe that a God lives in heaven. And I asked myself why people work with guilt, guilt and sin. Why do I have to go to confession? Well, those things, and those forced upon you in communion lessons and such stories. That was never anything close to me. I can say, however, compared to the time before my near-death experience, that I have developed a faith of my own that has nothing to do with the previous religions, however, but rather it's the belief that we human beings, every person, or as good as every person, bears everything within themselves that is necessary to be able to believe in themselves. And in all that surrounds us, and everything which holds us together. This belief that every life has a meaning, even if it may not feel or look like it at first, also every situation, every issue we are confronted with has a meaning. The belief in... How can I explain this? The belief that it always continues and that life always decides for us and that life does not end with death, but simply passes into another stage. This faith that nothing can happen to me, this certainty, yes, this belief that I bear within me. But as I said, it is really completely free from what we normally understand by faith. Does your present attitude to death and your attitude to life have an influence on your work as a counsellor and on the issues which are raised there? I believe so. I believe that the people who come to me notice that I have no fear of death. I think that's something very, very important, that I'm prepared to go beyond, that I'm ready to engage in these subjects, and that I'm prepared to talk about them. This is communicated to the other person, And it is amazing how often in coaching it turns out that death becomes a recurring theme. 
but not because of me, but brought up by the people who come to me. After all, coaching does not mean that I determine this, but that people experience and understand and recognize it from within themselves. Again and again, regardless of what the topic is, with the majority, not with all, but very many, it repeatedly comes down to it. For example, an unresolved story of grief. The grandfather has died, the father, the child, and so on. So from time to time, or more often, we come to this point, that death and the fear of it, through one's experiences, but also the fear of your own death, are decisive, that certain problems cannot really be dealt with. And the willingness on my part to take this up, and to look at it without fear, and perhaps also to give hope through my experience, that is also, I believe, a great quality of my coaching. What would you advise then, or wish for, so that people had less fear of death? I think it would be very nice if people could begin to recognize that fear. A certain type of fear is primarily very important because it can save our life. But there is also a fear in many people, a fear within us that blocks us, that prevents us from doing things that would be good for us and that would also bring joy into our lives. When you begin to confront this fear which blocks us, then you become free. When you begin to reduce it, you become brave. And if we can become courageous, then we go about life differently. And then we do things which not only show our abilities, but above all our gifts, our talents. And only then can we live a life that is free, as free as possible. Also a colorful life, one with humor, and one that satisfies us and that does not really confront us with this frightening subject, but rather gives us joy. Every day is beautiful. And regardless of what the next day brings, whether it's life or death, everything has a meaning. Courage. I wish that people would work on their fear, that they would reduce it and become courageous. Have more courage. That was, I think, a very good ending. Mrs. Suki, thank you very much for this interview and all the best for the future.